Welcome to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, Episode 16. There's too much information out there to do everything. And so the most pivotal things that I did was focus on Anki and do practice questions. And then there are like a couple select resources that were useful for like videos and like conceptual learning that I also used. You're listening to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, the playbook of those who dominated the USMLE. If you want to learn how to excel on step one and get into the residency of your choice, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join the thousands of others who have mastered step one concepts using physio.com. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today we interview Ian Christensen, who is a fourth year medical student at the University of Utah. And to help me with this interview, I'm here with my co-host, Rhett Thompson. How's it going? It's going so good. So... Right now, I'm in the middle of this little project. I'm not used to doing these projects. I'm building a comic book shelf for my comic books. I have a shelf now on which all my comic books go. But after I went to Comic-Con, as I mentioned on a previous episode, I came back with an extra resurgence of comic book slash nerd excitement. And so I felt like I needed to put my comic books in like a cooler shelf with doors. So me and my wife went and found through garage sales and picked one up for like 10 bucks. And then this little Home Depot project trying to like prime it and paint it. And it's exciting. It's also ridiculous how excited I am about it (laughs) and that it's interesting enough to me that I wanted to share with everybody. But yeah, it's cool. It's kind of nice. My wife's teaching me a lot about woodworking. She's really good with that kind of stuff and painting and give me lots of critiques. I'm clearly out of my element. Like if you watched us, she's like telling me what the tools do. And I just look (laughs) very not the part. It's super funny, but it's fun. She's smart. I can totally imagine that. (laughs) Jay just teaching you like all the tool names and how to use them and painting and stuff. All the manly stuff that you should know. She's like teaching you that. Yep. I just, I just do not know. (laughs) Oh, wow. You're taking the nerd level like up a notch, man. That's pretty cool. Yep. You got to own it at some point. Well, cool. Let's introduce our guest for today. His name is Ian Christensen. He is 27 years old. He's a fourth-year medical student at the University of Utah, and he's interested in going into ophthalmology. He scored very well on step one. He got a 263. And in this episode, he breaks that down for us and talks about a few interesting things. I think the most interesting thing is just his emphasis on practice questions. At one point in the interview, he mentioned that he did about 8,000 practice questions, which is pretty cool. And he talks about other resources like past tests that none of the other people that we've interviewed so far have really discussed. So let's bring him on the show. All right, Ian, welcome to the show, man. We're super excited to have you on. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So let's start from the beginning. How about you tell us and our audience a little bit about you and what got you interested in medicine? Well, I am originally from Provo, Utah. My parents are both from there and I was born there. But after six weeks, I moved to Beijing, China. My dad works for the Foreign Service. So I grew up mostly overseas. We moved from Beijing to Virginia and then we were in Hong Kong, South Africa, and then back to Beijing for most of middle and high school. Graduated from the International School of Beijing in 2009, and then I went off to college at BYU. So back to my roots in Provo, I studied Chinese there, served a mission, and then applied to medical school. So in terms of what got me interested, I think my dad actually went to dental school before he became a diplomat, and he found it so boring that he switched careers. And he did the Air Force, so he did four years of being a military dentist after dental school. 
And yeah, he just found it so boring that he left the career. So I was just basically following in his footsteps, doing a health field. And then after residency, I'll probably join the foreign service. Just kidding. I hope no like residency program directors listen to this. I think what got me interested is I just liked my science classes and wanted to do a career that I could do well in. And also, I like the technical aspects of medicine and all the science and also the way it combines sort of that and like a humanistic approach and being able to serve and be a positive influence in the world, I guess. I don't know. That sounds kind of cheesy, but there you go. I think a lot of people can resonate with that and probably share similar feelings. A lot of people that go into medicine, so... I think you fit in quite well with the medical community there with those thoughts. It sounds like your upbringing was pretty unique, pretty interesting, you know, kind of all around the world. That sounds pretty cool, living in China and just everywhere with your dad and being a diplomat and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely given me a different perspective on life and that kind of stuff. I think it's probably more similar to life in America than one might think since I lived in an American suburb of Beijing. I think is a good way of putting it. Like we lived in this sort of international community and we got a lot of exposure to Chinese culture and all that kind of stuff. And I had friends from all over the world, but at the same time as like, there were a lot of like American type experiences as well. It's kind of a weird mix of like familiar and foreign experiences, I'd say, but no, I liked it a lot. So went to undergrad at BYU, you said, and got interested from your science classes and ultimately got into medical school. Now you are at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Maybe take us back to the first week or first couple days of medical school and tell us what that experience was like for you. I think starting out, coming from sort of like a more humanities background, I took all the science prereqs, but I was a Chinese major at BYU. So I felt like I was maybe at a little bit of a disadvantage. Like I didn't even know what the word histology meant. And we were like, oh, like we have histology next. I'm like, I have no clue what that is. You know, it's like looking at stuff under the microscope. I was like, why can't we just call it, you know, something more intuitive? But anyway, I felt a little bit anxious about that probably. But, you know, you kind of get into the swing of things. Like I think starting anything new, you're sort of trying to figure out what the expectations are and how much you should be studying. And I think I settled into a pretty good rhythm pretty quickly. And I stopped trying to like be super on top of things. I remember the first class they sent out all this prep material and I was like pouring over it, trying to figure out like what are these channels and like what's happening with this membrane and this mechanism and stuff. And then I went to the class and it was Dr. Formosa who is just kind of a goofball anyway. And I remember he spent like the whole time talking about how like, oh, you know, people don't really know what they're talking about. And like, you should always take everything with a grain of salt. And like, it was like hardly anything about like what he'd actually like sent the prep material on. And I was like, okay, well, anyway, maybe I won't do that again. <laughs> Oh, that's pretty funny. I totally can uh, empathize and kind of resonate with you there. It's so funny. Like, there's just an absurd amount of information they send out as pre-work. It's like, go read 400 pages and answer all these questions and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, okay, there, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to get through that. Like, it's not sustainable. Or necessary. Or like relevant most of the time. It's like, there's no point in doing that. Yeah, just like a bunch of busy work. <laughs> this is medical school. Go read a bunch of stuff for no reason. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like you figured out a lot of that prep material was useless and found your own way that was more efficient and effective. What was that like? What did you end up doing? I very much believe in diminishing marginal returns when it comes to study time. So you can spend as much time as you want studying 
material because there's so much and you'll never finish. So I think it's important to set boundaries on your study time and make sure that you're not going overboard. I think I quickly learned that the most important information was contained in PowerPoints. And you go to lecture and as long as you kind of got the main points and you could review the PowerPoints. And then I started using Anki, which is I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with. And that was pretty helpful as well. I think just kind of like paring it down, trying to get to like what's relevant and not stressing out about making sure you go over every single thing. Did you use any resources outside of course material? During my first year or just in general? Like your first semester? First semester, not so much. So I was just kind of getting oriented. And most of the second years, I think something important is to like seek direction from the upperclassmen. So I had a couple of friends in the second year and they were giving me advice about what I should study and what I should focus on and that kind of thing. And most of them were like, well, you know, at least at the University of Utah, the first semester is foundations of medicine. So you go over all of the basic science concepts, which is really great for someone like me with the humanities background to like be able to catch up with the rest of the class. And then after the first semester, then you hit the ground running with like step one relevant information. So for the first six months, I didn't really do too much by way of outside resources. I mostly just focused on the materials and experimented with study techniques. I think that's really smart. When you have that chance early in medical school to just experiment. And everybody really should do this, just figure out what works for you quickly. What kind of things did you experiment with? And what did you find the most helpful that you ended up sticking with for the remainder of your preclinical years? So I wanted something that would be efficient because there's too much information to spend too much time with material. And a lot of people say stuff like, oh, you know, you have to find out what works for you. And everybody is a different learner. And like, I personally think that's all BS. Like everyone learns kind of the same way. And there's effective ways of studying. And then there's ways of studying that are like complete garbage. And so I think looking online and talking to second years and stuff like that to like see what people who are successful are doing was pretty important. And something that came up over and over again was Anki, you know, the space repetition, you make flashcards. So I pretty quickly started using that and I was just essentially trying to fine tune that. You know, I did a couple other things, like some outlining and then there was some other stuff that I tried to do, but I quickly started just to use Anki for most of the material and then trying to make sure I did it every day. I started making my own cards, which was not terribly successful because they were pretty bad. And so that was the main thing is figuring out what works for people. And then once I got into second year, I realized in talking to people that that were successful on step one and were doing well in school and stuff like that. Like there's too much information out there to do everything. And so the most pivotal things that I did was focus on Anki and do practice questions. And then there are like a couple select resources that were useful for like videos and like conceptual learning that I also used. You kind of mentioned a lot there. Let's break it down a little bit more. So you mentioned Anki and I know a lot of people use pre-made decks, which you mentioned, and you had a run at trying to make your own cards. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the specific pre-made deck that you used? So when I started, there was only like Bros and Cephalon, which was the big step one deck. So I used Bro, and then when Zonky came out, I started using Zonky, which is basically like Bros 2.0. And when I used that, a lot of people would try to go through the entire deck. And I didn't worry so much about that because, again, like there's almost too much. So I would import during lecture, I started watching lecture from home on like double speed. 
because they were all recorded. And then I could pause. And when someone, you know, mentioned something was going over a certain concept, then I would search in the Zonky deck for all the cards related to that word or to that concept. And I'd import them into my like core deck. So I'd move them into my core deck and the core deck is what I would study from on a daily basis. That's essentially how I used those pre-made cards. And then if there was something that I thought might be relevant to the test, rather than ignore it and just be like, oh, I only study only for step one because we still have tests in class and that kind of thing. I would make the sort of occasional card to go along with that and then add that to my core deck as well, just so that I made sure I wasn't totally missing certain concepts, but I wouldn't focus quite as much on those. Okay, so mostly Bros and Cephalon and then Zonky, but you occasionally threw in some stuff from class, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess... Later in second year, uh, I started using like Torquey Micro or something, which is like based on Sketchy Medical, which is the little drawings that like cue your memory to different things. They have Sketchy Farm and Sketchy Micro, and I used some decks that were specific for those, but not quite as much. And then you had mentioned some select video resources. What were you referring to there? These are like the ones that everyone kind of uses. So I used Pathoma, which they also, I think, had cards in the Zonky deck that were related to that. So that made it easy. So when I watched the lecture, I could import all the cards into my core deck from Zonky. And that was really helpful. And then I also used Sketchy Medical. So like the videos that I just mentioned, Sketchy Micro, Sketchy Farm. And those were really helpful too, because there's a lot of little details remembering all the bugs and drugs. And those were super helpful with that. And again, there weren't like really great flashcards for those, which was unfortunate. But I think there are now. I've heard of a deck called like Salt and Pepper or something. And then there was, I think Torquey Micros probably has like several updates that have made it better. And so those, I think, would be good adjuncts for those just to make sure that with every resource that I interacted with, I made sure to like back it up into Anki so that I would continue to retain it. And of course, I used the Physio videos, you know, just put a plug in for you guys since for your audience. But I used Physio, especially when step one was getting a little bit closer, just to go over some physiology concepts that I felt a little bit weak on. I thought your videos on cardiac function and kind of thing were especially helpful. With Yankee decks, were you able to keep up with those every day, like with the review and keep up with everything that you had learned or added to your active core deck? Yeah. I think for the second semester of my first year, I sort of wasn't that active on Anki. Like I did use it, but it was like kind of here and there, sort of sporadic. And then I did research during the summer after my first year. And then once second year rolled around, I really got into Anki. And from then on, I just kept up with all the cards that I had made. But you really have to do it every day or else you'll get overwhelmed. But I think even then, the most I had a day were like in the two or three hundreds generally. And if I missed a day, it could get kind of rough. I really had this love-hate relationship with Anki and I'm really glad I'm not using it anymore because it really is so hard to go through all those flashcards and you're like, oh my gosh, this sucks so bad. And it really does. But it's also so helpful. So I recommend doing it. It's just like one of those things. You just have to do it every day. Yeah, I think most of the people that we've interviewed who've used Anki have said something similar. It's really about using it every day for the most part. That seems to be consistent with what we've heard for most people at least. So you used Sketchy. You used the Brosencephalon and Zonki decks. And then you used some video resources that you had mentioned. Did you use any question banks throughout your second year? Yeah, I did. So I didn't do any in my first year. Second year, they had a free one that like, they send an email out so we all had access to it. Pass test, that's what it was. And that was kind of inferior, but it was fine. I used it off and on. So that was kind of like my free throwaway questions, one that I'd used for various tests. And then when I started second year, I started using Applin QBank. 
and I used that one because it came like relatively well recommended and it was also fairly cheap. It was like a hundred something with an AMA membership. So I got that one and I used that throughout second year and I tried to use it in conjunction with class. So preparing for the various unit exams. So I'd filter for questions that were related to those and that way like I could sort of get a step one review in addition to setting for the test. So I did that. I did Kaplan up until essentially a couple weeks before dedicated study time. And then I finished Kaplan and went and started doing U World, which, you know, everybody has to do, of course. So I used Kaplan and then I used past us just whenever. And then I think I finished U World like a week before something and I wanted more questions. So I maybe used like 500 or so firecracker questions and then I took all the NBME practice tests, most of them, I think. Yeah, that's a little unique. I don't think we've had anyone mention pass test yet. And it seems like most people stick with USMLE RX or Kaplan during their second year. Those are the two most common we hear. And then obviously UWorld, once you get to like dedicated, some people do that before. But So it sounds like you did pass test and Kaplan leading up to your dedicated period. Is that right? Yeah, I never really used USMLE RX. It's probably fine. My impression was that it was almost like a little too like first aid centric. And I honestly did not use first aid very often. I used it as like a reference every now and then. I know that Zonka is based on first aid, so I obviously used it probably more than I realized. But like actually going to the book and flipping through it, I did not do that very often just because that was kind of low yield, as they say. You look at it, you don't really remember it, and it doesn't really sink in. It's just sort of a good reference to see what's in there kind of thing. But yeah, I can't stress enough how important it is to do practice questions. I think all told, I probably did like 8,000 practice questions before I took step one. Wow, that's a lot of questions. Well, yeah, I mean, including like all the Kaplan, and then I took the Kaplan practice tests. I took all the NBMEs. I did at least half of past tests, which is, again, I think they might be charging for now. It's fine. It's not amazing. But the more exposure you can get to questions, the better. I think it's all about practice and that's the best way to retain because underlining and like if you make a schema or something, you know, some sort of mind map or something like that could potentially be helpful, but I think it just takes so much time. But doing practice questions and like Anki, like you're always testing yourself. And I think that really helps when it comes to retaining information. I totally agree. I think if you just dive in and start doing all those practice questions, you just get that real experience instead of learning the material in a way that's potentially not as useful. Because it's easy to spend a lot of time memorizing information, but not be ready for a question that's on it. A lot of people make the mistake of going through first aid and memorizing lots of pages on that. And then they get questions on those topics and they're just not ready for it. And I think your approach really makes sense. It makes me think a lot of the reason why people use first aid is this sense of completeness where they can hold in their hands this book that contains theoretically all the material that they need to know for step one. And certainly not in the detail that they need it in, but it covers all the material. So that sense of comfort that most people get from combing the pages of first aid, it sounds like you actually got that from your Zonkey deck. Or did you have any fear that you would get through all the material? I sort of depended on lecture to cover everything that was most salient. And I think they did a pretty good job. Some people just entirely stopped watching lecture. I continued to watch lecture and then followed along with that material. And I think there were still like eight or 9,000 Zonkey cards that I never reviewed. And that's because I only imported the ones that I thought were relevant. Like some people think that doing questions is kind of a scattershot approach. 
but I disagree. I think once you have a concept of understanding and you do these questions, you're really testing your knowledge of these concepts. And so if you run into something that you don't know, then you can go back and review it, obviously. And so I think like reviewing the questions and I think first aid can almost provide this false sense of security because it does have theoretically everything you need to know, but it's either not deep enough or it's not in context enough for you to really like understand what is happening. Like first aid is not a book to go to for learning something this time. It's a book to go to to be like, oh, okay, like maybe a little reminder or like a, you know, a reference or something. But it's, you know, memorizing first aid never made sense to me. That really resonates with me. You know, I think back when Rhett and I were studying, so many people were just like, oh yeah, you just have to memorize first aid. You just have to memorize first aid. Like that was preached everywhere. (laughs) And I think it's interesting through the course of interviewing all these people who've taken step one, it seems like actually less people are using first aid, which I find really interesting. I think part of that is because there are a lot more resources now that are starting to cover this information in more detail that's more relevant. But I totally agree with you. I think that people should stop using first aid like a crutch and use it for what it is if they're going to use it, which in my opinion is a reference book. You know, if you really want to learn the material, you need to learn it elsewhere. Do not go to first aid to learn the material. Yeah, totally. Completely agree with that. So we've talked about going up to dedicated. Let's dive into dedicated a little bit more. Maybe you could walk us through just like a typical day for you during your dedicated period. I know people that went really crazy during dedicated and studied like 15 hours a day or whatever ridiculous stuff. I would generally get up and I do my Anki. Sometimes I do it in bed if I didn't feel like getting out of bed and doing it. So I do all, all my Anki cards for the day in the morning. And then on a typical day, I would do three blocks of UWorld questions, so 40 questions a block. So I'd do 120 questions a day. Between blocks, I'd either go for a run or eat lunch or just kind of hang out. And I typically would finish the blocks and reviewing in six to eight hours. It's probably about as much studying as I did every day. After doing Anki, Anki probably take an hour, maybe an hour and a half. It always felt like longer though, because it was like so mind numbing and horrible. And then after that, the question banks, they take an hour each to do the questions and then to review them probably like another hour. So we're talking like six or seven hours of studying a day was pretty typical for me. Can you walk us through a little bit more of your process in terms of using UWorld? Was it random, timed, and then you would review immediately after? Or how exactly would you approach UWorld? Yeah, so I would do random questions, times, 40 question blocks, and then I review immediately after. Well, I might take a break between taking the test and reviewing. And then any of the questions that I got wrong, either search for a related card. In some cases, it would be one that I had already reviewed. So I'd change the order. I'd send it to next or whatever so that it would change to a new card, basically, because obviously I didn't know it. Or I'd add a new card based on the information that I'd learned. That was basically it. So making sure to import all that information into Anki. Okay, so you'd kind of use Anki as a way to help solidify the information that you had missed. Is that right? Yeah, or the ones that I like guessed on. You know, if I flagged it, I'd review every question, even the ones I got right, and make sure that I understood the concepts. Some of them was like, okay, like I know this, and then I'd go on to the next one. But some of them, they were like, well, I probably shouldn't have gotten that one right because I basically guessed it. And then I'd review that one as well. It's kind of the same way. Would you read all the wrong explanations? Like read through all the explanations of UWorld? 
kind of depends. Probably usually would, but not like too ridiculous about understanding every single wrong answer. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I know a lot of people like really swear by that. You know, it's like read everything in New World, read the correct answer, read all the wrong answers, and read the educational objective. Whereas other people might say, oh, just read the educational objective. I'd read the explanation. And then if I selected the wrong answer, I'd definitely read why it was wrong. But some of them are just ridiculous and you would never pick them anyway. So those ones I'd obviously just kind of skip. But I definitely looked over it. I wouldn't say that I like ignored it entirely for sure. Okay. So we talked about UWorld and you would also mention that you used Anki. Did you use any other resources during your dedicated period? I may have rewatched a couple of the sketchy videos. I think I watched some of the physio videos during that time. But I think that my focus was still on practice questions for sure. I don't think I did too much else that I can remember. That's a really cool approach. You've got your Anki cards in the morning and you stayed on top of those all the way through dedicated. And then you did UWorld questions. Were you able to get through all of UWorld? Yeah, I did. I guess I should know that because you did like 8,000 questions and it seems like you should, <laughs> you probably did that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not a guarantee. I mean, you know, I had friends that didn't finish. And I just thought that was completely ludicrous because I'm like, this is the best resource. What are you using your time for if you're not finishing UWorld? Like, you should just get through it. You know, it doesn't make any sense not to finish all the questions, in my opinion. Yeah, I finished them, but I didn't do them again because I don't think there's much utility in like repeating questions because you've seen them before. And even if you don't explicitly remember everything on them, like you kind of do still. So like, I didn't think that was very helpful. Like some people will recommend doing your world like twice or doing Kaplan twice or something. But like, I don't think that's good advice, in my opinion. I totally understand what you're saying there. And we've heard mixed reviews on that idea because there's some people who are super successful that do it multiple times and they swear that that like had a huge impact on their score. But, you know, who knows? Maybe they would have done just as well if they didn't do it a second time. Or maybe it's just the idea of like using that second round of going through your world almost as in place of flashcards and just blitzing through the information again to kind of have that fresh in your mind going forward. And I've even heard one guy who did really well, he's actually in ophthalmology, like his second year of residency right now. And he exclusively just did UWorld on his phone and he did it four or five times. And that's all he did. And he would like blitz through them, do the block, read everything super quick and then do another block. And he would do like three or 400 questions in a day And it was just crazy, but he did really well. And that's like an insane approach. It's like, (laughs) that's crazy. I would never do that. But if it worked for him, that's awesome. Like anytime I do the questions on my phone, like I don't know what I'm reading. I read it like 10 times. So distracted. I mean, obviously if I'm like doing them in a quiet place, like might be fine. But I'm usually when I'm on my phone, it's like there's stuff going on and yeah, no thanks. Life of a third year student trying to study. (laughs) It's like on your phone all the time, trying to cram a little bit in. Oh man. Trying to study during third year can be a little rough. But like always unsuccessfully. Yeah, totally. Exactly. So when you were reviewing those questions or when you were just doing the question bank in general throughout your dedicated period, do you feel like you had a firm grasp on all of the material before you even started dedicated? Yeah, I think so. I kept up with class and I watched all the lectures. And I don't know how other universities are. At the University of Utah, there's a lot of people who malign the whole lecture format, which I think is not ideal and I wouldn't go to them in person, but I did like watching them. And I think like there's still a lot of value in going to the lectures for the conceptual understanding. I think you get the details from Anki, but if you want overarching conceptual understanding and the framework that's 
pretty vital to being actually able to retain the details. I think Lecture was actually pretty helpful. And then some of these other resources like Pathoma, to a certain extent Physio, I thought were also good at laying this conceptual groundwork. And then having done Anki through my second year, I think I felt fairly confident going in a dedicated. Let's talk about MBMEs. Did you use those at all? Yeah, I think I used all of them except for maybe one. The only problem with MBMEs is the fact that they don't have explanations for the answers. And I think they might be doing that now or something. They highlight which one is the correct answer now, but they do not have explanations as far as I'm aware. Oh yeah, but they didn't do that before. And now I'm like, I can't even really remember. When Rhett and I were taking the tests, they did not do that. They didn't even give you, they didn't even tell you which one was right. So you'd like have to scour, you know, different forms and try to figure out, was this right or wrong? Yeah, so that was the problem with it. At least it tells you the right answer now, which is nice. In terms of testing yourself and like being able to gauge where you are and that kind of thing, I think they were pretty helpful. And then just getting exposure to more questions, you know how I love that. So I did all of those on various days when I was like, oh, let's do a practice exam today. And so I did that. I think I took most of them. They were pretty helpful, I thought. Even though like some of the questions were so stupid. Some of them were like too short and I don't know. But they are, I think, a little bit more like the ones you see on step one, at least like the later test forms. Versus I think you will times is a little too wordy in terms of what you'd actually see on the exam. I agree. And I think a lot of our other guests have mentioned something similar. I think that UWorld tends to be probably a little bit longer in general. And they try to trick you a little bit more often than the MBMEs do. And I remember when I was preparing for step one, I would hear people say like, oh yeah, you want to just stick to MBMEs towards the end because if you use UWorld too much, it'll kind of get in your head and you'll second guess yourself. And in reality, the actual test questions are a little bit more straightforward. Do you think that's true at all or not really? Yeah, I'd say so. I think sometimes when the question stem is a little bit longer, it's almost like comforting in a way because then you're like, maybe there's some information here that I'm missing. And then if it's short, and to the point, and you don't know the answer, then you're just kind of screwed, and there's nothing you can do. <laughs> you're like, I know exactly what they're asking, I have no idea. Anyway. Okay, so in terms of NBMEs, there's a lot of people that will start taking them before their dedicated period to get like a preview, and then some people who will just take them only during their dedicated period. When did you start taking them? I tried to save them, so I took one because our school required it in, I think, March. So I took the test in May, and I did okay. And then I took the rest all during dedicated and including like U World 1, U World 2 simulated exams. I used those as well. And then I took them like once every few days or once a week or whatever. I don't really remember exactly, but yeah, I took them mostly during the dedicated times. Can you talk to us about your progression through those? Did your score change at all from like March until leading up right before your exam? Yeah. So I think my first. MBME I took for school that they required. I think I got 238 or something. And then I took UWorld 1 at the beginning of Dedicated and I got like 264, which is like, wow, you know, like I was feeling pretty awesome about that. And then I took, I think, Form 19 or something and I got like 228. I wasn't super jazzed about that. And that may have been actually after I'd taken another form. And then the rest of the forms I think I got in the 240s. And then I took one the week before my test and I think I got 259. So that was a good confidence booster a few days before the actual exam. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people will jump around pretty significantly on different tests. And sometimes the progression can be pretty linear. Other times it can be kind of sporadic or even decline, which is kind of nerve wracking. 
but it sounds like for you overall, it was somewhat predictive of how you were going to perform on the actual thing. Is that fair to say? Yeah, Form 19, obviously I got kind of screwed on. So I, was, I had a bit of a crisis after that, but that was sort of a outlier, I guess. Most of them were, I think, 240s range. And then U World 1, I did really well. U World 2, I think I was also 240s, 246 or something. So they actually under predicted you pretty significantly. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But on the other hand, it's so dependent on just what you get on the day, how you're feeling and what you're doing. There's a lot of, I think, variation there as well. It sounds like that UWorld assessment was actually closest to your actual score because you actually got a 263 and then your UWorld was a 264. So that's like probably the most predictive in your situation. At the beginning of Dedicated, before I'd even like done any like UWorld questions. So basically, I should have just not studied, took taking it right away. No, that was my high score. So that was like, if I could get that, then I'd be like super daz. But my goal score was like 260. But that was sort of like a, that'd be nice kind of thing. But I'd be happy with anything in the 250s. And then the day of, I took the test and I was feeling okay leading up to it. And then after the test was over, I was like super anxious. I like did not sleep well that night. Thinking all the questions that I had gotten wrong, kicking myself. I just remember one question in particular carbon poisoning that I did get wrong and I'd switch from the right answer to the wrong answer the last second. I walked out for a break and I immediately realized I was kicking myself. Anyway, I just did not feel good after the test. I wasn't sure that I'd like bombed it, but I just did not think that I'd done well. So when I got my score back, I was actually quite surprised. <laughs> Pleasantly surprised, I'm sure. That's an excellent score. I'm sure you're uh, thrilled with that. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty shocked, but in a good way. That's awesome. Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying when you just think through in your mind, you're like, that question, that is not one. I got that one wrong. Suck. And then you start like counting them up. And it's, it's crazy like how much you can remember from the actual exam. You're like, oh my gosh, that question. And it's just like this weird twilight zone just seared in your brain. Like how do all these words just stick in your brain hours after it? I think that just speaks to the trauma that you go through and just you're like on high alert. Like how people with like PTSD can like smell and taste everything that like happened, the horrible experience. But the other thing that's interesting to me is that you talk so similar to other people who just do Stellar in that you walk out not feeling like you rocked it. Yet your score comes back and you obviously rocked it. It's just interesting to me that there's this discrepancy and it's consistent among all high achievers. I think that's so interesting. Like, what is that experience like? Because it seems like when you're doing question banks, especially kind of like those easier ones, I know you didn't do RX, you did pass test, but when you're doing those easier ones, you can kind of tell like, oh, slam dunk, I nailed that. And then you get the score back and you did. Like, it's usually consistent. But it's just interesting that when you actually get into like the real test or even you world, the way that you feel about the exam isn't necessarily reflective of the score that you get. Yeah, well, it depends on the Q bank. So that's part of the reason why I didn't use USMLE RX, so that was too easy. Kaplan is kind of weird. Like, they'll test you on kind of weird stuff sometimes. And like, I think it was actually like, pretty helpful and you never really know how you're doing which is a lot more like the test and you're probably all just like so worked up after having studied for so long anyway that like even if you're like i nailed it and then you come back to it and you're like oh like am i overconfident did i really nail it or am i just kidding myself even though it's like you don't know that you got it right but you're like are they tricking me you know Sounds like you did very well. So congratulations. Let's talk a little bit about what you've been doing since then. And then maybe if you could leave some parting words of advice for someone who is studying for step one. I have been attending medical school since then. And everything attendant to that. Finally finished third year, which is really nice to have behind me. Planning on applying to ophthalmology. So I did the ophthalmology sub-I in June. And I just finished a neuro-ophthalmology elective this month, which was pretty fun. 
So I'm moving on to the MICU next month. And for ophthalmology, for people who don't know, you don't really need to take step two in a sort of time frame if you did well on step one. And so I'm taking step two in September. So I'll just study through my time in the MICU next month. I'm at the VA, so it shouldn't be hopefully too intense. So I'll be studying there and then hopefully I'll do well enough to pass that. And then just on interviews and that kind of thing. So parting words of advice. So I think the main thing is do as many practice questions as you can. Do Anki every day. There's a lot of supplemental resources out there. So you have to choose wisely and not get bogged down. But use the ones that are helpful. In my opinion, I think Sketchy Medical, Pathoma. And for physiology, I think Physio is really helpful as well. I think the core of studying for step one is practice questions and Anki. Awesome. Great advice. Well, thanks, Ian. Really appreciate your time and for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to go to our website at physio.com to check out our growing library of free step one videos. You can also find our physio group on Facebook to join our growing community of students preparing for step one. If you've been enjoying the episodes and have been getting value from the content, here are three easy ways that you can support us. One, press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. Two, leave us a review. To do that, just go to physio.com slash podcast. Three, find your friends who are in medical school or interested in medical school and tell them about the podcast. Thanks for listening and join us next time.